Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Oh, baby, we are back here on Hoop Ball Bulls. Oh, my goodness, has this been quite a week. Greg Moraz with you here on the Hoop Ball Network. We are so stoked to bring you our second episode. We waited a full week. I got a lot going on at work right now, but appreciate you hanging with me. If you do want to check out some of what my normal work is, Watch the Pac-12 Network if you like college hoops. We've got it all covered for you over there. I work in the stats and research department over there, but I am here to talk Chicago Bulls with you. So we had made a prediction. We thought that it was going to be a 2-2 two and two week with the game against the Cavs upcoming on Tuesday, but I was a little bit more faithful in the Bulls than they actually were in themselves. So they lost to the Timberwolves in that Wednesday night game, 115-108. to Then on Friday at home at the United Center, they lose to the Pacers, 108-102. to And then, oh gosh, Sunday night, they lose by three to the Brooklyn Nets, who not only have fired their coach in Kenny Atkinson, which is a whole nother subject entirely, and I quite frankly don't agree, and I think that Kyrie Irving is completely hijacking their team, but the Bulls lose a game in which they forced 29 turnovers. I mean, seriously, they forced 29 turnovers and still lost. But anywho, let's recap the last couple of games for you. So, the game against the Wolves, they lose 115-108. to That saw the return of Laurie Markkinen to the starting lineup. We had talked about the fact that Laurie wasn't healthy and that he had had a severe slip in production from his second year to his third year. So it was good to actually see him back in the starting lineup, but it didn't really make a whole lot of difference. One of the things that has been one of the most frustrating parts of the Chicago Bulls, especially under Jim Boylan, is the lack of third-quarter adjustments. So the Bulls actually were up three at halftime in this game, and they get outscored by 12 in the third quarter. That's been the difference. They end up losing by seven. They had a two-point advantage in the fourth quarter. They get outscored by 12 in the third quarter, and that's the difference. Markkinen comes back. He has 13 points on 6 of 10 shooting, but he only has four rebounds. You look at some of the other stats. Wendell Carter Jr., he only took six shots. He had six points on three of six shooting. He had nine rebounds. But for some reason, Shaq Harrison is playing 29 minutes, and it had 17 points. Like, if Shaq Harrison is the guy that is your leading scorer in the starting lineup, you've got a problem. Kobe White came off the bench, and he was fantastic, as he normally is. 11 of 22 shooting, 
for 26 points. And Kobe White has been somewhat of a revelation for the Chicago Bulls off the bench and has been an absolute joy to watch. And hopefully we're going to have a chance to talk with Don McClain, who is the guy that worked out Kobe White in his pre-draft workout. We're hoping to have Don on the pod at some point pretty soon. Don played in the NBA for over 10 years. He is a colleague of mine at the Pac-12 Network, and I really hope that we can have a chance to get Don on at some point pretty soon. But again, the Bulls' lack of ability to be able to actually score significant amounts of points against their opponent in the third quarter is proving to be a huge difference. Now, let's take a look at their game against the Pacers on Friday, which is a game that, in my opinion, the Pacers have more talent. The Pacers are going to end up as a top-five team in the Eastern Conference, and The Bulls, quite frankly, were never in this game. They got down by as many as 14 in the first half. They lose 108 to 102. In this game for Indiana, DeMontis Sabonis has 24 points and 12 boards. Miles Turner, 15 points, 8 rebounds. The Bulls in this game were out-rebounded 46 to 45, but I don't really think that tells a lot of the story. The Bulls shot 41% from the field. The Pacers shot 50%. But here's the big difference. The Bulls were 24% from three. They were 9 of 38 from beyond the arc. Again, your leading scorer, Kobe White, 26 points, 10 of 21 shooting. He was only 3 of 10 from three-point range. So Kobe White is still playing like 35-plus minutes a night at this point. He played 38 minutes in the game, the most of any Bulls player, and he was not in the starting lineup. But You talked about the return of Laurie Markkinen in that Wolves game, but he was absolutely horrible in the Pacers game. Plays 22 minutes. He is 1 for 10 from the field, 0 of 5 from 3. He scores just 3 total points. He has 5 boards. Wendell Carter Jr., 26 minutes, and once again, he only shoots the ball 4 times. Now, I've been already known in the brief one-plus episodes of this show to severely criticize Jim Boylan for his lack of in-game adjustments. But I mean, seriously, if Laurie Markkinen is a part of your core and Wendell Carter Jr. is a part of your core, Wendell Carter Jr. should not be shooting four shots a game. Like, seriously. This is a guy you took seventh overall. This is a guy that was one of the best players in the nation the one year he played college basketball alongside his teammate Marvin Bagley. Like, come on. You cannot have him taking only four shots a game. You want him to develop further? Have him take more shots. Have him be a feature of your high-low offense. Have him work it down low on the block. Maybe, I don't know, have him pop out and shoot a couple of mid-range jumpers. Like, Wendell Carter Jr. should not be playing 26 minutes a night and only having four shot attempts, while Denzel Valentine is playing 27 minutes a night and having 17 shot attempts. Now, I like Denzel Valentine. I think people get on Denzel Valentine more than they should. And I personally thought that coming out of Michigan State, he was going to be a really good player. And it just hasn't been that way. It has not been the case in terms of his success. He has not been able to stay healthy. He has not been consistent from the outside. Uh, In that Pacers game, he was one of seven, but it's still like Wendell Carter Jr. He was the seventh overall pick for a reason. Feed him the rock. Thad Young, 
ended up with six points and three ten shooting off the bench, but he was 0-5 from three. Like it bugs me when you have a team that is trying to shoot three pointers that doesn't have their best three point shooter. Zach Levine did not play in this game, and Zach Levine did not play again against Brooklyn on Sunday. And the Brooklyn game was, without a doubt, one of the more frustrating games of the entire season. And the simple reason is because it was lining up for a win. Like, that lines up perfectly for a win. And you still couldn't get it done. Like, how many times this year have you seen the Bulls with a lead at halftime and just completely have the wheels fall off in the second half? Well... They ended up actually with a plus five advantage in points in the second half and still lost by three. They forced 29 turnovers in this game. 28 turnovers. I saw an ESPN that said 29, and now the box score says 28. Well, you know what, ESPN? You're not nearly as good of a stats guy as I am, so bleh. But in any event, the Bulls end up losing once again. Better game from Laurie Markkinen. He shoots eight times. He makes five buckets, 16 points. Only two boards, four assists. Again, Wendell Carter Jr., he only takes five shots. Seven points, three of them coming on free throws. Tomas Sanaransky, four points on one of seven shooting. And then Kobe White off the bench, 21 points on eight of 21 shooting. Otto Porter Jr. returns to this game, 23 points for him. On 9 of 17 shooting, he had a plus 19 in his plus minus. He had four steals, which ties him with Shaq Harrison for the team high. But again, he ends up coming off the bench. But the Brooklyn Nets, who are an absolute disaster, they turn the ball over 28 times, and they still end up getting the win. DeAndre Jordan had a double-double with 15 boards and 11 points. Harris, Dinwiddie, and Levert each had 23 or more. And the Bulls are now 21-43. and 43. And it just continues to get more and more depressing because there's just absolutely nothing to be able to hang your hat on at this point. Like, you can't beat a team that turned the ball over 28 times. Like, my goodness, is it really that hard? Like, seriously, is it really that hard for Jim Boylan to put together a competent game plan? Like, I I signed off on our last show thinking that this team actually was going to have a chance to win given that they were getting healthy. Now, I didn't foresee Zach Levine not playing in these games, but still, like, this is a young and talented team, and they're not playing like it because their coach is a complete nincompoop. And now the stories are coming out that apparently Bulls management is going to be willing to do whatever it takes to get the right guy in place to run the front office, but John Paxson is still going to be there. Like, how do you fire Jim Boylan if John Paxson is still there? Like, this is a guy that has effectively sold his collective soul to this guy at this point. Like, I just, I don't get it. Like, I am just so livid with how incompetent this organization is at, like, trying to make a decision. Like, you hired a guy as your coach that you wanted to keep as your coach because he didn't argue with management, and now you potentially want to change management, but 
you are going to keep guys that were in management still in management and not have a complete overhaul. Like, I understand loyalty to a certain point, but at the same time, you have to say if you're Michael Reinsdorf, enough is enough. And I just don't know what further can be taken from this season. And as we are at March 9th and we're seeing the season come down to an end, you look at the upcoming schedule. You see the Cleveland Cavaliers on your schedule and Tuesday night. And then from there, you look at Orlando, probably a loss. At Miami, loss. Boston, loss. Miami at home, loss. At San Antonio, probably a loss. At Houston, probably a loss. Home against Denver, home against Philly, home against New York. At Utah, at Denver, at Phoenix, at, I mean, just, I, I don't see that much, I don't see many more wins on this schedule. Like, you got to play Boston two more times, you got to play Miami twice, you got to play Denver twice, you got to play the Clippers and the Lakers again, you got to play the Rockets again, you got to play the Sixers one more time, you got to play the Jazz. I'm just, I don't see, at, at 21 wins, I don't see this team getting to 27 wins. I mean, they've had, well, like, let's look back at the schedule. Like, what's the best win of the year? I'm just looking through the schedule. Like, Atlanta at home, uh, no, they have completely destroyed Atlanta this year. They're actually 3-0 and against Atlanta. They beat New York at home, that's nothing. They beat the Pistons at home, that's nothing. They lost to the Warriors twice, and the Warriors are terrible. Both games have played the Warriors. There was no Steph Curry. They did beat the Clippers at home once. They did end up beating San Antonio at home by one, but they've just gone into a complete tailspin. I mean, the Dallas win the other night was really solid, but I just am looking at this schedule, and it's just it's abysmal. Like, how are they this bad? And I have such a big issue with Wendell Carter Jr. not actually getting a chance to shoot the basketball. I have a big issue with him not playing 30-plus minutes a night. I have an issue with Kobe White not starting. Okay, if this is the guy that you drafted with your first-round pick and you're bringing him off the bench, start him. Like, start him. Like, it's not that hard. Like, put him in the starting lineup. It should not be that big of a decision to make. The guy is your one scoring machine right now. Like, have him as your point guard. And you know what? Like, let him learn on the fly. Let him learn how to play the point guard position. Have Zach Levine as that off guard and have them both on the floor for like 30 minutes at a time. Have them learn to work together because if Kobe White is going to be a part of your core and you're married to Zach Levine as a part of your core, then have them work together. Don't have it so that they're not working in conjunction. Like, is Kobe White an NBA point guard at this point? Probably not. But who do you have that's a better option? Would you rather have, playing a majority of your minutes at the point, a, let's give you three options. Option one, an offensively limited Chris Dunn, who is not going to make a jump shot, is probably going to get you around 10 to 14 points a night, and is basically going to be good for actually just running whatever semblance of an offense you have. 
option two, a Tomas Sadaransky, who is not going to be in your future past next year and maybe even closer to not being an option past the end of this year. I bet that the Bulls might find a way to shed his salary, trade him for a second-round pick or something, give him to a competing team for next year that might want a backup point guard. Or do you want option three, an exciting 20-year-old player that can fill up the stat sheet in terms of points and might be a little bit raw in terms of actually running the point guard position? I'm going to take option C. I'm going to take the guy that's going to end up being your spark plug. And look, if you want a real point guard, maybe you go out and you draft a guy like a Nico Mannion from Arizona who's probably going to end up declaring for the draft. Like, Nico Mannion is a really pure point guard. He is probably, in my opinion, a better shooter than Chris Dunn. And he handles the ball really well. He spaces the floor really well. Uh, he dishes well to big guys. Like, you know, if he's working well with somebody like a Zeke Naji, then how is he going to work with a Wendell Carter or a Laurie Markinen? Like, I think that that could end up working pretty well. And, you know, given that he and Markinen both ran the same offense at Arizona under Sean Miller, maybe they could develop a rhythm together. Like, you don't know. I think that you have to look at where the Bulls are at right now and say, let's try anything. And even if Boylan is not going to be your coach going into 2020-21, which in my opinion he shouldn't be, but again, you know, this is a Chicago Bulls podcast. This is not a rail on Jim Boylan constantly podcast, although I could find 30 minutes twice a week to be able to do that. I mean, I don't think a lot of people would have that much of an opposition to that sort of subject matter. But in any event, you want to be able to see productive value out of the guys that you have before you have to make decisions on somebody like a Laurie Market in free agency and say, do we want to bring this guy back on what might be perceived as a contract that is possibly worth more than we think that he's actually worth? Do we want to have a Wendell Carter Jr. around for the long term when we don't necessarily know what his full potential is? Do we want to extend Zach Levine and make him the cornerstone of this next stage of our franchise? I think that a lot of Bulls fans thought that this year was going to be the year, whether it was Boyland or not, that they would make that next step. And maybe because of the fact that people were confident in the talent that they saw on the floor that this was going to be the next step. But now that you're getting guys back healthy and you're having moments where you have Otto Porter Jr. on the floor and you have Laurie Markkinen back on the floor and you've got Wendell Carter Jr. back on the floor, they should be playing better. Like They should be better than a Brooklyn team that is without Kyrie Irving, that is without Kevin Durant, that has an interim coach that turned the ball over 28 times, that has absolutely no idea what their future is going to be going into the next season, and you feel like you've got a team that should be better than they actually are. And the reason that they're not better is that they have no guidance. Their guidance is from Captain Underpants as a basketball coach because he wants to play blitzing pick-and-roll defenses. And 
he doesn't seem to want to run offense that's going to get you good opportunities for open perimeter shots and feels like it's better to make a bunch of mid-range twos than it is to work it to your three-point shooters. Like, Jim Boylan just is not the type of guy that is meant to be an NBA head coach, but he's an NBA head coach because he gets along with the front office. But if the front office changes and all the indicators from guys like Casey Johnson of NBC Sports Chicago and Joe Cowley of the Sun-Times that there is going to be change in the front office, then how do you not ask John Paxson and Gar Foreman to step aside? Like, I understand the Reinsdorfs are very loyal to their employees and they're loyal to their management. Like, since Jerry Reinsdorf has owned the team, the Bulls have had two president of basketball operations, Jerry Krause and John Paxson. But if John Paxson's idea of a coach that was going to be obedient is Jim Boylan, how do you bring in somebody else that you expect to make basketball decisions, keep Paxson around, and then say to that coach, well, you can do X, Y, and Z, but you still have to keep Jim Boylan. Like, what basketball executive out there is going to actually want to keep Jim Boylan as their coach? Like, I think that Mike Miller, the interim coach of the New York Knicks, a franchise that is an absolute dumpster fire, is probably a better NBA coach than Jim Boylan. I think that somebody like a Frank Vogel, who was brought in to be effectively a puppeteer for LeBron James and Anthony Davis, is probably a better coach than Jim Boylan. Like, who out there is Jim Boylan a better coach than? Who? I, I, I don't have the answer to that question because I don't think there is an answer to that question. I don't think there is a coach out there that you can say is less qualified than Jim Boylan. I want to give you an exercise. I'm going to give these Coach A and Coach B. So Coach A, in 2013, now he had two years at this school, and we're talking college coaches here, prior to this stretch of years. So the two years prior to these good stretch of years, this coach went 6-25 and and 15-18. and The four years that follow, he went 21-12, and made the NIT, 26 and 9 made the Sweet 16, 27 and 9 made the second round, and then 20 and 12, and they made it to the NIT first round, and then the year after, 23 and 12, and they were the NIT runner up. Who is that coach? That is Utah head coach Larry Kristoviak. And who did Larry Kristoviak replace at Utah? A none other than Captain Underpants himself, Jim Boylan, who in four years at the University of Utah, Went 18 and 15, 24 and 10, which got him an appearance in the NCAA tournament, 14 and 17, and 13 and 18, and all of his guys transferred away, and he got his ass fired. So it took Larry Kostoviak a couple years, but he got that program back to respectability after Jim Boylan basically had it completely torn down. And Jim Boylan didn't get a head coaching job again in college. He went to the NBA as an assistant with the Pacers and then with the Spurs, and then joined Fred Hoiberg's staff, and then eventually became the Chicago Bulls head coach. And in this regard, I feel like Jim Boylan probably had the right qualifications to be another college head coach, 
but probably not another NBA head coach. Like, if you make one NCAA tournament in four years and have two sub-500 records in your last two years and you don't last till a fifth year as a college head coach, that's a bad sign. And not to mention that a guy getting promoted to head coach who is a complete failure as a college coach is just plain what? Like, I'm not even going to give it an actual answer. Like, that's like, what? It's like Cliff Kingsbury, the Texas Tech football coach, who got fired after going 5-7 and seven and somehow ends up as a head coach in the NFL. It just doesn't make any sense. So you have to make a decision if you're the Chicago Bulls, and you have to make it now because of how disappointing this season has been. Do you say... I want Jim Boylan to be the coach going into next year. Am I going to commit to this guy for another two years and build around this coach who you want to, quote-unquote, develop every guy on the roster, which is effectively like what he's been doing? Or do you abandon ship and say, we need to get somebody real in here? Now, John Paxson seems to be somebody that doesn't get along with a lot of people. So, I mean, I understand that there's the loyalty factor for the Reinsdorf family, but on the White Sox side of things, on the Reinsdorf family, for those of you who aren't baseball fans, they own the Chicago Bulls and they own the Chicago White Sox. And eventually, they got Eagle Maniacal GM Kenny Williams out of the way, protege Rick Hahn was elevated, and now Rick Hahn is finally starting to get that team back to respectability on the baseball side. Do you effectively say to Jim Paxson, or John Paxson. Jim Paxson, John Paxson's brother, is also part of the operation. Do you say to John Paxson, Gar Foreman, hey guys, it's time to get out of the way. We need to bring somebody else in here that is going to run this automatically, and you keep these guys on as special advisors. Look yourself in the mirror and say, what do you want the future of this franchise to be? What is the course that you are setting for these guys? And if that course is going to end up being a team that is led by Jim Boylan, then there's no point in hiring a new general manager. If you cannot sever yourself from Jim Boylan, and that effectively means if you cannot get John Paxson to sever himself from Jim Boylan, then there is no point in anything that you're doing. Period. End of story. There's no point. Like, why would you bring in somebody else to run your basketball operations if you're effectively going to have John Paxson the puppet saying, I want to keep Jim Boylan because Jim Boylan doesn't argue with us and he wants to make sure that, you know, we're protected and that the management looks good and I'm trying to develop the team and blah, blah, blah. It's just ridiculous. Like, I am so tired of the crap that this team feeds us on a weekly basis, and every press conference that Captain Underpants puts out there, like, does he actually expect us to believe anything he says? I'm just so frustrated at this team not being able to hold on to leads, to not being able to make third-quarter adjustments, to not run competent defensive plays and extend themselves too far on defense and have guys completely blow by them for open layups to waste the talents of guys like Laurie Markkinen and Wendell Carter Jr. and Zach Levine and not have any semblance of an idea for how to develop these guys further to take this raw talent and actually make it into a team. 
You had guys that would have worked well in the Fred Hoiberg system, but you decided you wanted to fire Hoiberg because he wasn't going to work along you anymore, and you hired this boob that effectively is just going to play the mouthpiece for whatever it is that you're selling us in regards to why this team isn't as good as it should be. And it is a complete indictment on you that you fired the best coach that you ever had post-Phil Jackson in Tom Thibodeau. Like, the fact that Tom Thibodeau is not the coach of the Chicago Bulls anymore is on you, John Paxson. And everybody thought at the time that Thibodeau had to go that it was time for him to go because he was not getting along with current management, that he was not willing to appease John Paxson and what he wanted. And everybody thought because... Thibodeau was playing his starters too much that it was totally fair to fire him and bring in somebody else. But you know what? Hindsight is twenty twenty, and my hindsight says that it was an absolute mistake getting rid of Tom Thibodeau and driving away probably the best administration that you ever had post-Phil Jackson and an administration that if you had kept Derrick Rose healthy and been able to keep Jimmy Butler in town because you couldn't get along with him either that you could have had a chance to be a competitive team in the East for years to come. And now that city, an hour and a half to the north of you, is the cream of the crop of the Eastern Conference. And don't get me wrong, I love Milwaukee. I used to work for the Milwaukee Brewers. I love the city of Milwaukee. I think they've got fantastic sports fans. But this is Chicago, darn it. This is the Chicago freaking Bulls. This is one of the most successful franchises in NBA history. This has got one of the best fan bases in NBA history and in one of the best sports cities in the country. And if you are good, they will love you forever in Chicago. And you've made this team completely irrelevant in his own city. People care more about the Cubs, the White Sox, the Blackhawks, the Bears than they do the Bulls. The Bulls are the fifth most popular team in their own city. They're slightly more popular than the Northwestern Wildcat football team, and I went to Northwestern, so that's an insult to my own alma mater. But it's darn true. And if the Bulls were doing things right, they would be as popular as the Bears, if not more. Because they have somebody that nobody else had, and that was Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan was the iconic figure in Chicago sports history. If you're building a Mount Rushmore of Chicago athletes and coaches, you've got Walter Payton for the Bears, you've got Ernie Banks for the Cubs, you've got Stan Mikita for the Blackhawks, and above all of them is Michael Jordan for the Chicago Bulls. And with that, we will talk to you after another week of Chicago Bulls games. Hopefully the Bulls can get the job done against the Cleveland Cavaliers on Tuesday night. New coach J.B. Bickerstaff has got that team playing a lot better after the departure of John Beeline. But in any event, thanks for listening to this episode of Hoopball Bulls here on the Hoopball Network. Make sure you go to hoopball.com. Check out all of our great content there along with our other NBA podcasts. We've got the Lakers, the Clippers, the Kings, the Nets. We've got it all. Make sure you check us out at hoopball.com. My name is Greg Mraz. Go Bulls, and we'll talk to you next time. This has been a Hoopball presentation. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.